What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Braid. I'm here with Alex Felice and his my co-host and his newly designed backdrop. So you should let him know down in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, what you guys think of that. Because uh, I don't know, he probably didn't design it because it looks really good. And uh, we are here with Michael and Susie who are friends, I suppose is, is the right word. Michael and I have talked a million times. Um, he's a member of the War Room and he's in the Air Force. He's a He's even been a professor at the Air Force Academy. We've talked about curriculum design and systems and he's even they've even both written a blog post for the website about overseas investing and what makes them unique is that they got into multifamily investing while stationed abroad and bought their first property while stationed abroad and overcame what most people would make excuses about and consider very daunting and then Susie is a project manager for a biotech company and going to be going real estate full-time here soon as well as mill spouse and so this is just this is gonna be fun because I know them and uh, well I, I won't get too crazy into it but Michael is extremely heavy into systems and I was joking with him before the show that he made me go cross-eyed when I was looking at his uh, email lead flow because it is just something I couldn't even think of dreaming up. So uh, very, very, very system-oriented and I love it. So guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic one, Oscar Mike. Hey guys, I want to interrupt this episode for just one minute to bring you a message from our sponsor for this episode, Rentometer. Now, whether you already have an established rental business or you're analyzing your first deal, knowing the correct rental income is absolutely crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why our go-to source for rental data is Rentometer. Real estate professionals rely on Rentometer because it's the fastest and easiest way to access quality rental data throughout the U.S. Now, don't take our word for it. Rentometer provides over 500,000 rent reports every single month and gets rave reviews from its customers. In fact, when I first became a real estate investor, Rentometer saved me $100 a month on my first property, which would pay for the entire Rentometer membership if you paid for the membership right off the bat. They have a free option to give it a trial. I use Rentometer Pro. It's absolutely worth your time. I still use it to verify my rent when I'm analyzing properties, and it saved me, or rather earned me extra thousands of dollars over the last few years in rental income, and I absolutely recommend that you give it a shot. So go to rentometer.com today to start your free seven-day trial and grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer, or click the link down in the show notes, and that'll take you right there. Now let's dig into this show. Thanks, Dave. I'm really excited to be here. And thanks, Alex, as well. Yeah, thank you so much. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what got you into real estate and what, where we like, just bring us up to speed real quick. Yeah, I'd love to. That's a great question. So real estate all started actually because of COVID-19 and the lockdowns. So over here, the first lockdown was a little over 100 days, but we actually had no clue like how long it would last. A bunch of people were just sent home you know, from work and the government said, we'll let you know when you all can go back. And so with that, Michael and I were like, okay, well, what are we going to do, right? We can only leave our house once a day to exercise and to go to the grocery store or the pharmacy. So what's our life look like now? And we chose to start a mini book club because we choose not to have a TV just because of all the distractions. And so through our mini book club, we read a book called Multiple Streams of Income. And in that book, it discusses real estate investing. And so Michael had just looked at me and he said, let's try this. And I was like, okay. And so that's where the entire journey began with real estate investing. Yeah. And I actually reached out um, shortly after that, like getting into looking up some stuff online, which led me to bigger pockets, which ultimately then led me to, to your platform, Dave. And, um, and then I actually posted, hey, I'm overseas in the, in the UK looking to potentially invest back in the States. And that's when Marcus Long reached out to me. Um, and that was the first networking call that I actually had, um, that we had about real estate. So I'm really excited that uh, we've really built a relationship with Marcus now. And uh, yeah, he kind of started us on our journey. That's cool. You guys I figured this out last year, real estate? So I was going to say, I was like, I didn't realize you were this new. You guys have a lot of crap together. 
Yeah, maybe. everything else. We're about to find like- out. Maybe, maybe they have it together. <laughs> <laughs> They're more organized than you and I are, whether they've got the rest of it figured out or not. <laughs> but yeah, everything started just a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Wow. You guys started out of boredom, basically. We're stuck indoors. Let's go figure something out. What did you buy first? Getting into bigger percentage and every all the education that we were consuming was like kind of pointing us towards like single family, right? And so like, it was like single family, single family, single family, just take action, do something. And so we set up like a long distance burning team, like in a Midwest city and we had everything together. It took like a couple months to get everything set up. And then we had like two doors under contract and then the unthinkable happened An inland hurricane came through and like took out like 60% of the trees and the city was out of power for like five to six weeks. And needless to say, like contractors were no longer concerned with like doing rehabs. They were concerned like rebuilding the city. So our financing kind of fell through. Um, those two properties fell out of escrow. And then we had to take a step back and say, um, this is a really unfortunate event for the people that live there. However, like our goals to our goal is to like buy 25 single family homes and then 1031 those into some kind of multifamily property within like five years. And that obviously wasn't going to happen because if the city was still rebuilding, we knew it was going to probably take a year for the city to rebuild. And so we took a step back and like looked at our five-year goals and I was going to get a multifamily. And we said, you know what, let's go ahead and pivot to multifamily now because actually at Veterans REI Live last year, Whitney Sewell planted a seed in my head and was like, dude, you don't need to start in single family. You can start multifamily. And so that seed just needed a little bit of watering. And that was like the watering, if you will, of the seed that we were like, okay, let's just straight into multifamily. Let's do it. Yeah. So I, with oh. that, we closed on our first, I guess, asset technically two months ago, and it was an 88 unit in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What was the team like to put to get that together? Because, you know, you got to get people to give you money and that usually, you know, they're going to ask you, do you have any experience? You know, what's your track? What's your team like on the ground? How'd you get the lending again? Cause as a bank underwriter, the first thing I'm like, Oh, you haven't done this before. Go get somebody that has. Not to say that that's not possible, but like, that's the first thing, you know, that I think of. Yeah, that's a great question. So our team consisted of six people. So there was Michael and myself, and we knew specifically that we needed like a boots on the ground, right? Because that was one of the biggest pieces that we were missing. So just through posting on social media and such, one of Michael's old classmates from the academy reached out and was like, hey, I am in real, been thinking about getting into multifamily, we should chat. And so through that conversation, that's how we got our boots on the ground. And that's essentially how we also chose our market. So we have criteria. But once he said like, oh, I'm in Oklahoma City, we were like, sweet. Like, we definitely want to look into Oklahoma City and Tulsa. That would be great. And so then because people started to know us as being in Oklahoma, we then got an introduction to who is now our current mentor. So it was just like an organic relationship that formed into that. But he joined our team and he is essentially who brought the experience because he has five assets also in Tulsa. And so that helped us bring like that experience to our team. And then along with that, we had a KP because he also brought the experience. And then we brought somebody else on who helped with asset management and bringing capital as well. So that's what our whole entire team looked like. And then Michael can go, I guess, in depth with the bank. Yeah, just a little caveat on there. So that the other person that Susie mentioned that we brought on, we actually met through the War Room Mastermind. So Cliff Luber is his name. Oh, yeah. he was yeah. ironically... Cliff was supposed to be the guy we interviewed before you guys this evening, but he got uh, sent to, I probably shouldn't say where, but somewhere for training for two weeks and had to cancel last night. Oh, bummer. Okay. I will never forgive him for that. I haven't heard that yet. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting though. I mean, uh, I want you to finish, but I just find it very interesting that somebody can get this idea. And then you guys, obviously, you know, not everybody has the skill set of bringing people together. That's my skill set. Right. So it's like, hey, you're not there, but you know the pieces and you're like, I can get all the right people to do these things. Um, but it's really, it's actually fascinating that somebody can, you know, basically join the war room, network, implement a plan through, you know, strategic networking, essentially, and then freaking make money. So I don't want to hear any excuses from anybody, in military millionaire or the war room ever again. <laughs> okay, okay. 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 I'm sorry. Keep going. Tell me about the bank. Yeah. Um... And then because we had everybody, we had the experience, we had the, um, you know, boots on the ground, everything like that. Because even now, like, I'm not sure what, if Freddie has changed their lending um, requirements, 
but I know because of COVID, they've changed it where like you have to have somebody within 100 miles of the property, yada yada. So like um, in the COVID reserves, and a lot of things have changed because of COVID. But um, with that, we had all the pieces we needed in order to get uh, agency debt on our first first deal, which is pretty awesome. Um, and, and then you asked about the capital raising. So that was a, another huge thing. So along with that, we knew that we had to we had to bring a substantial amount of money to, to the deal, right? And so we, with that, we had to have a substantial amount of number a number of investors. And so we kept hearing that, you know, the number of investors on your list, only 10% of those people are going to actually invest. So we were like, okay, if we can bring 500K and the minimum is like 50K, we need at least 10 people, right? So if 10% of a list, 10 people, we need at least 100 people on our investors list, right? And so in order to get those 100 people, Susie and I literally buckled down and we're like, okay, we need to reach out to as many people as we can, as fast as we can. So literally in like a four month period, we had like close to six, or I think over 600 calls and we were doing like 25 calls a week over and over and over again, like every single week, um, filling up our, our schedule um, however we can just to meet with as many investors, potential investors as possible um, in order to get the number of uh, investors we needed. I love is this, this. Is this a 506B or a 506C syndication? It was a 506B. B, yep. Could you clarify so you had to make the difference before you went under contract? Yeah, exactly. We had to meet everybody before we under contract. So the difference between a 506B and a C is that B, you have to have a prior existing relationship with the, the investors. The C can be accredited investors. You can advertise and things like that. Yeah. So people think B is easier because you can do non, you know, sophisticated investors instead of accredited. But I learned very hard. Well, as I learned everything the hard way, um, the first time I was ever a GP and really to date my only official GP slot on a syndication because I've been, <laughs> I've been doing JVs over the last couple of deals because they've just been something we could take down in smaller groups. I didn't have like I had a fairly large email list, and I thought, oh well, this be easy to raise money. I got platform, I got social media, I got an email list. I didn't understand any of the rules as far as like having to be able to document who you like communications and and be able to prove that you had a prior existing relationship and all this other stuff. I hit a wall with raising money. I mean, I raised some money, but it was nowhere near what I projected to myself that I'd be able to raise, and nowhere near what I could raise today because I've spent time now like diligently saying, okay, I'm gonna. Have conversations. I'm going to mark people as, you know, prior existing relationship in my email list and whatever. And so I think the foresight that you guys had to know the math behind, hey, only 10% of these people are actually going to uh, lend us money. We need to have solid relationships with them. We need to focus on that. Like a lot of people jump into multifamily and raising money is something they focus on after they get a deal under contract. They're like, okay, time to raise money. Well, no, actually, that's 100% the wrong way to do it. And you're shooting yourself in the foot. You might end up, you know, looking for people to, you know, that, that's that's the reason people bring other investors in to kind of help them raise the money and have to give away portions of their deal. So I think you guys did that the right way. And I commend you for that because a lot of people wouldn't know that that's the step. And 600 phone calls, man, 25, that's, that's exhausting. Good for you guys. We were just looking at like, what our race potentially would be, you know? And because we found out quickly that like friends and family, we're not going to be part of that. We're like, okay, like need to make sure that when we're going to meetups and we're going to conferences, like that when people put out their contact information, we are actually following up, right? Because so often I'm finding that when we go to meetups and conferences, like somebody will start a spreadsheet and everybody puts their information in there, but then nobody follows up. And I was like, this is a great opportunity to, for me to follow up because if I'm the only one following up, more than likely they're going to respond, right? It's like when you get that flood of emails is when you start to choose or just stop looking at them. But when only one person reaches out, like the likelihood is very high. And we found out that people were reaching out and we weren't going into it being like, hey, I hope I want to get you on my investors list. You know, it was like, Hey, I saw you at this event. Like, what was your favorite part? And then we keep going. And then it'd be like, what are your investing goals for the year? Right. And then right then, that's how you can easily start a conversation to get them on the phone. Natural organic relationship building. It's almost like that's the best way to do this. I like it. It is exhausting, Dave, but you know, it's not exhausting when you know your end goal. Right. And so a lot of people mistake like what a syndicator does or like what real estate syndication is all about, right? They think about like, oh, taking down deals and some of that. No, the business of syndication is raising money. And that's that's the baseline of it, right? Like you like you said earlier, like if you if you have a deal but you have no money, you have no deal, right? You have money, you have no deal. But well, what if you have a lot of money and you don't know what a deal looks like? And then you have to go figure out what a deal looks like. <laughs> and I want to become yeah. friends with the person. So syndic- <laughs> I, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to push back. Syndication, I think raising money is really popular. 
uh, right now because there's so much liquidity in the market and it's like the fun kind of easier part to be, to be quite fair, but going off there and, um, you know, watching my partner actually asset manage and run a property. Uh, that's what I consider to be the hard part of the syndication. Um, personally, I was going to say, no, that is also the hard part. Cause like even Michael and I from all the way over here, like lead sponsoring. And so granted we are not at the property, like watching the PM, like we're having the weekly calls. We probably email the PM like five times a day, asking questions, going back and forth. You know, we are helping with the vendors and everything. So no, there is a very difficult part to asset management. But even with that, like it's figuring out your processes in order to like have that streamline better because we didn't want to go into it blind. So like along with understanding how to raise capital and how to create that team, like we definitely dove into a lot of education about asset management because when it's no longer about you, you have no opportunity to fail, right? Like I have to worry about the families that are in the apartment complex. And then I have to worry about my LPs too. So like out of my way um, to figure out everything as much as I can. And I do understand like risks happen and failures do happen, but it's like learning how to fail forward and get back up and do it again. Well, now I'm going to tell you why you're all wrong. Um, <laughs> because raising money is both fun and also difficult per se, but exciting while managing a property and strategizing on ways to increase income and reduce expenses and renovate and turnover and all of that strategy side is fun and challenging. The worst part and the hardest part of syndications is the freaking paperwork that goes into filing and dealing with attorneys and all the legal mumbo jumbo bull crap that nobody actually wants to do. And nobody warns you about when you jump into syndications. Nobody's like, Oh, here's the like you go to talk about multifamily and it's all about raising money, finding deals, structuring deals. Nobody tells you about how miserable that piece of the pie is if you don't <laughs> hire the right attorney. I saw that and I was like, I don't know if I ever want to do this again. Like, this is, I got to hire this part. Like, this is terrible dealing with freaking SEC attorneys and all the fun crap and not, not my piece of the pie. Not at all. <laughs> that is not me. Michael is, Susie, which, which one of you guys does ops? That side, what David's talking about, the paperwork. Um, so we both kind of handle it. Um, Susie was more took, took lead on the SEC side of things. Like I kind of kept the team together and kept it running. Susie was kind of handling all the back end paperwork kind of stuff. So but we were both kind of tackling it as it came through. I think there was like, they accounted up as I went through each, I went through each individual email, like leading up from, from pre LOI all the way through closing. Like each email was like, I think there was like 754 emails total. Um, you know, from sort of for like a, you know, a three month window. And uh, yeah, I went through each one just to write down everything that happened. And I kind of like documented everything. So next time going forward is a lot easier. Yeah. On this topic though, I think it's, um, you know, there's a lot of egomaniacs in multifamily and real estate investing. And what they want to do is they want to do it. Yep. Him right there. There's one right there. And what <laughs> they want to do so is they want to do, um, the do it themselves. I'm guilty. I did my first one myself and I made a tremendous amount of mistakes. I still made a good return. But I, I was like, I'm going to learn. I'm going to figure it out by making some mistakes. <clears throat> and then the second one, I realized I was like, that's so immature. Just tag people in like you guys did. Hey, I need a, I need a KP and I need a, um, a sponsor who's going to be able to put up, you know, to get Freddie. I need somebody who's going to put that side up and I need somebody who's going to put up a balance sheet. And I need somebody who's going to put up experience. Okay, so that was smart. And then also there's two of you. So you can share the stress and the workload. Mm -hmm. So both my deals now, um, we're about to do a third one. Uh, I have a partner that I fluked into through the internet and he does ops in the backside. And so all I get to do is like investor relations and I interface with uh, my boots in the ground. But to David's point and the larger point I'm making is like, you know, people that look at multifamily syndication and like, oh, it's so hard. It's like, guess what? You don't have to do it yourself. You mm -hmm. have a team of people that, that are going to help you with this. And so like David has tremendous amount of strengths in you know, marketing, he's a marketing monster and, you know, his work ethic is mega high, but like attention to details and going through, yep. Okay. Just get ready. Get, don't get excited. Just get, but you know, so you gotta, you gotta, you gotta know your strengths, right? So if he's like, Hey, look, I'm not good at doing, um, the details and the back and forth with the vendors and whatnot. It's like, bro, you got to get somebody to do that because if you put that on your back, you are going to do it just good enough so that it doesn't completely crumble. And then you're going to resent it at best. And it's like, get somebody. So the, my whole point is like, dude, get people that are good at what you're bad at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And that's, 
I mean, that's the whole point of like why teams crush this syndication game. You don't see a whole lot of individual people running it, right? I know one. We know one. Matt, and he's an ass. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Duvall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's the only one. But, Everybody else, he's like, yeah, but, but Matt doesn't syndicate though. Yeah, he does. He does everything himself, but he doesn't run the. He doesn't have to deal with the investor relations and the raising of the money and the like. He cut all that out, and he just does. He is an ops monster. Um, and like, let's make sure we really, you know blast them while we get the chance. He is constantly texting David and I and asking, uh, I should probably get some help on these. I should probably include some people to get some help. So uh, uh, these things, even if you can do a few on your own, it's like they get too big. And to, to Susie's point, right? Like, hey, raising money is like what this is really about. But, you know, once that's all, the dust is settled, it's like now you got to generate returns. And that doesn't, that's not a one or three month process. That's forever or, you know, three or four years. So it, it, you go off and you get 88 units. Okay. Well, once you have 300, it's like you got a, a different level of responsibility. So you need people. You need mm-hmm. people. And so it sounds like you guys figured that out right out of the gate, which is great. I mean, it sounds, you know, as we're talking about it, it, sound, it sounds uh, like we figured it out. But, uh, you know, we jumped out of the plane and built a parachute as we were falling, right? So, but that's how you figure out a lot of things, right? Like Grant Cardone says, like, hey, take the action, make the commitment, and then figure it out, right? Is this, how like you got your, is this how you got your investors? Oh my God. No, I'll tell you whether they're going to be modest about it or not. I alluded to it in the intro, but this man showed me his freaking email, like his, like, if this, then that, like, flow chart for like people he's met that he wants to get into his, like, funnel. And I damn near went cross eyed looking at this fucking thing. I was like, how the hell? Did, not only did you, like, like, I can't even read, I, I don't know what half of this is. <laughs> But how the heck did you visualize this? Like, I, I'm having a hard time grasping all the steps in this process. And Michael's like, yeah, it just does. Do, 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 do. And then if this, <laughs> and then, then it splits in three way and then it comes back together. And then all of a sudden, boom, money. And I'm like, I got like seven emails that go out if you join and that they don't, they don't do an if this, then that. They just, it's those seven. That's what you get. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's not my marketing strength side. Um, and yeah, so they, not giving themselves enough credit, but they've got some crazy systems that he does and that, well, that they do. I just, Michael's the one I've talked to about it, but man. What was the price of the how, uh, the building and what'd you raise? Uh, so it was 4, 4.375 was the purchase price. Uh, we were putting 525 into CapEx and then the, um, the raise was 1.75. That's a substantial first raise. Yeah. How much, did, how, much did, how much did you guys bring? Did, I know you said you brought, had somebody that brought. Yeah, we brought like a, uh, about seven hundred twenty-five thousand, roughly. Um, good for you. Yeah, that's good, good stuff. You. When did you close? We closed February twenty-third. Oh, so we've brand had like new. a solid like two months of operations, which is uh, which is fun. The first two months is always, or the first month actually is is really fun. How's it going so far? Um, it's going great. Like after the first month, like you know, there's a lot of pushback from the residents. Um, you know, when you have a property management turnover, like the residents push back and to see what they can get away with. First month, you know, there's a I bunch of like, that. yeah, exactly. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, late rent charges and things like that. But now, you know, the second month is less of that. And, um, but even to add to that, like what we experienced also was like a lot of the pushback came from the seller not going through with maintenance requests. So even, even as of now, I think we've had almost 200 maintenance requests in two months, right? Like, there has been a lot that we have had to fix, which is totally fine and totally great, right? I want to make like a, a safe and secure like home for these people. But like that part blew my mind. I'm like, you hear about all of the good things and like with all the good landlords, but you don't like hear a lot like in meetups and such how when people transition into buildings, sometimes you do have to take on like a pretty big load. And even yeah. to go back to that, it's not like we're doing the maintenance request or anything, but like that's all of our PM then, you know, like we have to also like help them through that and be like, you know, it'll get better. And like for the maintenance guy, like I understand you are doing a lot right now, you know, and we really appreciate you, but like there will, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. What's up guys. Hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to stop for just a few seconds to talk once more about Rentometer and no, they did not sponsor the second ad. This is a mid-roll ad. They sponsored the beginning of the show, but I believe in Rentometer enough that I wanted to just poke my head in here and reiterate that you guys should give it a shot. It's a seven day free trial. This will absolutely save you money by helping you get greater rents on a property or 
helping you avoid from trying to ask for too much in rent and sitting vacant forever, which can be almost as costly, if not worse. So I absolutely recommend that you go try Rentometer for free at rentometer.com or the link down in the show notes and give them a shot. You absolutely can't lose with a free trial that will literally make you thousands of dollars on your rentals. Now back to the episode. Well, deferred maintenance is a very real thing. A lot of the time, it's just because someone doesn't have a good system or they don't know what they're doing financially or they're not on top of stuff. But I mean, even if that's not the case, even if someone was like a fairly solid landlord property manager, there is definitely like the last six months, if you know you're selling a property, there's definitely the piece where landlords will just be like, oh, well, well, that one's not that important. That won't affect the price of the sale. Oh, that's... Oh, yeah. Ah. And they will just push... They'll kick the can down the road because if it's not something that affects purchase price, why put the expense into it? And, you know, I mean, and that's unfortunately a real thing. Yeah, there's there's actually... Let me tell you a story real quick um, that we have in this week to us. And so we found out that there's a, there a lady living there on the property. She's been there for like 25 years. For the last 10 years, she's had this leak. And she's told the previous owner about this leak and they threatened to kick her out. The previous two owners both threatened to kick her out if, if she didn't shut up, right? So literally, so she was scared to bring it up to us. And so it took her like over a month to come to us and say, hey, there's this leak. We've had this water leak. We actually found it because um, we, we were like, hey, there's a, there's a water leak on the property somewhere. And we actually, our uh, plumber traced it to her apartment. He's like, yeah, I've told previous ownership about this leak, but they threatened to kick me out and stuff like that. They were like, how fast can we fix it, right? So we had it fixed like that day. Um, and she was like, so thankful. And she's like, oh my gosh, I, like, I've been dealing with this leak for 10 years. I'm like, that is ridiculous. Like what kind of slumlord, if you will, like lets a property run like that, like fear, like puts fear in their tenants to like not put in maintenance requests to threaten and kick them out if they do. Well, I'm sure um, over the last decade, I, that leak has probably cost more than it would have cost to repair it too. Can I play, can I play devil's advocate for a second? What I found, I've done two of these now. What I found is that um, there are people who will take advantage of, you know, the new landlords and be like, "Hey, let's see what we can get away with," you know. And then there are also people who will take the opportunity to not complain for the sake about of it, but like, you know, they'll tell you those kind of stories, like, "Oh, it's been like this for ten years," or whatever the case. Not to say that it's not true, but we get a lot of those words. Like when we turned the property over, it gave people an opportunity to tell us what was wrong with the property that they either. Maybe they gave up on it and stopped asking about it, or maybe um, you know they had a renewed hope that it that could fix. But I got a lot of those not stories just like that, but there are those stories that come out and you're like, um, so you said you had 200 requests on 88 unit, and I think we had something similar on a 52 unit where we had 200 maintenance requests in the first three weeks, and it was like stuff that had been broken for a long time that we got there. We're like, why wasn't this fixed? And so I don't know if the previous owners were neglectful or um, just neglectful in the short run, like David said, to get the thing sold, or that they gave the opportunity to tenants to, um, you know, to, to renew a fuss or whatever the case. But there's all sorts of interesting little um, social and cultural dynamics that shift when you, when you take a property over. Um, how, have you, did you have any people move out right away? So we had three. We had three skips, yeah. Um, okay. In the first, like, week or two. Yeah, but I think... So, oh, no, no think please, please. From, I was just gonna say, I think they came from the the seller, just trying to fill up the property fast yeah. at the end. I mean, it was at like ninety seven percent occupancy, and then I think he was trying to avoid having to pay any you know turn cost on the uh, unit turn cost whatever because like it was within the window of before closing. And I think he just filled it up real quick uh, on paper, and then uh, and then when we took over, they they were gone. So it's funny how that works sometimes where they. Yeah make the assumption that that's what you want when in reality you would prefer to leave it and have a quality tenant. Like I had a property I took over once where I was literally like, like I told them like, I want this person gone. Do not renew their lease. Do not whatever. I'm going to renovate that unit. And then they totally filled and signed a lease to like, they, they got rid of said person, but filled and signed a lease to, you know, bring someone in. And I was like, guys, I mean, thank you for getting me a tenant. And there, these ones are okay. But I was planning to renovate it so I could increase the rent. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. So do, do you guys have a renovation plan? Is there a rehab included in the, in the? There is. Yeah. So, um, and we're working through that right now. So we're, right, the biggest thing we're doing is adding uh, washer and dryers um, to the, the one bedrooms and then actually adding washer and dryers in the two bedrooms. There's connections already, but um, there's no washer and dryers in there. So the biggest thing is like the biggest uh, renovation is actually adding connections to the one bedrooms and then, and then installing those uh, stackables. Uh, are you going to rent them to the tenants? 
Um, it's going to be built into the lease. Um, so it's basically we're getting $85 rent rent increase from it. And we've already had a handful of units re- uh, leased at that. So um, that's what the connection plus the the actual washer and dryer. What's the expense so, on even a though, connection like, plus washer dryer stack? The expense is um, a little over two grand, basically. Um, well, two grand for the, the main, or excuse me, two grand for actually installing the connection and everything like that. And then the stackables are about uh, 800 bucks, 900 bucks. So two, three year payback, not bad. Yeah. And and then ongoing, I like mm-hmm. it. Over the entire life of the business plan, it was like an 87% ROI. Yeah. There's all sorts of little interesting things when you take these properties over. We had, um, my first one kicked my ass, bro. I didn't realize <laughs> it at first, but what I really needed to do in retrospect, what I really needed to do day one, as soon as I hit the ground, was get a plan. I needed to evict every person that was there. And that property, now that's just my property. That was just that one because it was so mismanaged. That property did not turn around fully until I got out the last, I mean, I did 100% have to turn over of every property, every uh, unit in that place before the culture stopped. Uh, like I could do an increase in, in, in human culture uh, before, like F the money. Like I couldn't get people that would, you know, stop littering in their own yard kind of thing. So I, 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 you know, there's so many interesting, um, like, like Susie said, like, Hey, they don't tell you about this or, you know, David's like, they don't tell you about all these, um, you know, the paperwork and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, lots of stuff that people don't tell you about. I had, I had cultural issues at both of my properties that just takes like, you know, new management, you got to get people that are going to skip out. Cause you know, like, uh, like Michael said, they, they've been leased up, you know, uh, and they don't fit or, or whatever the case they skip out. So that's why I was like, look, when I, when we took this one over, we had six people leave in the first two weeks. I was like, good, renovate those units, get them out. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And I think the best part though, because even though we all don't know about it, like that's the best part about having a team, right? Because like, if Michael and I don't know about it, somebody else might. And even if they don't like when you bring all those creative minds together, you know, like that's how you come up with a solution because we all have have different ideas for a plan and we all have different solutions for every problem. So I think that's like the best part that comes out of the team. Like, cause even if one or two of the people don't have a solution, you know, the four other might, and that's, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, that's huge. All right. I'm going to shift and slow it back down a little bit and ask because biggest excuse, not excuse, fear that I hear from a lot of people in the group, one of the biggest groups outside of money, because money is a big one, is question I see all the time is how do I get started if I'm overseas? Or how do I get started if I'm out of state? Or how do I guess? And we talk about that a lot. But being out of state, even if it's in like Hawaii, is nowhere near as scary like psychologically as being overseas. So I'm curious kind of what you guys were able to do or if you have any pointers or tips for anyone as far as like how to get over that mental block of being you know overseas and getting started in real estate. Yeah. So I would have to say it starts with like education, like education, education, education. Cause like I find now, cause Michael and I even host a meetup over here is that when people in the room have no idea what anyone else is talking about, like you sometimes you zone out, right. And you're like, why am I here? And that's when you also get like imposter syndrome. Like, I don't know anything that's going on right now. Like I, I'm not ready for this, but like through the education, you know, like listening to podcasts, reading whatever books, attending conferences, um, you gain it really quickly. And then your confidence level definitely goes up. Um, I think it starts there, but then even like just going to networking events and listening to what other people have to say, you know, and like having people see you in that space, because the more you learn, like the more you will speak up and the more you'll ask questions. And I think that's a great place to start even from over here. Cause when you see other people like you doing it, you are more likely to do it as well. Yeah. I think education is huge. Education. Yeah. And then, and then building the right team, like aligning yourself with the people who know more than you know. Right. I think that's huge as well. So that, and then it helps build your confidence, like having, like finding our mentor, you know, organically, you know, through networking was huge. Like I, I just met this guy, had a zoom call, chatted with him a couple of times, kept up with him on email. And then like chatting with a couple more times. And I was like, Hey, would you mind like looking over my underwriting, uh, make sure that I'm not screwing anything up and like finding and having him in the same market and actually investing in the same sub markets as well. Um, within Tulsa, like he knew the numbers, like he knew like the expenses, what the expenses would be. He knew the property management companies there and things like that. So, um, and then he was able to look over my underwriting and say, okay, well, this is going to, this is, you need to adjust this here. You need to adjust that. Um, so that was huge. And that was a, 
and the other thing too is like he didn't just like change it for me he's like hey why don't you take a look at this or like do some research on that so like he made it like a very learning experience for me which is really awesome David has such an advantage in finding people that know more than him. I'm so jealous of that. I would say that's a subtle jab, but I think that's there's a actually a little bit of je- jealousy in that. I'm going to leave it. <laughs> I think that's a, a skill set. Um, uh, education and networking. A... Education and networking. So important. Like finding out what you know and then finding other people that know maybe uh, complementary information right? Complimentary information. It's like, I know 80% of this and you know that gap or 20%, you know, or you can... Yeah. So I love that. And then, um, you know, it's interesting about networking is people, you know, you meet the right people at all sorts of different times. And sometimes it happens quick. Sometimes it happens slow. And then, you know, you kind of get better at it. You, You meet this guy as a fluke, essentially, who becomes your mentor. And then you guys buy this deal together. And then people go, you know, if I could only meet that person, I'm like, yeah, you will. You just got to do exactly what Michael and Susie said, which is go to networking events, go to meetups, go to online meetups, hang out with people um, like digitally and physically that want to do this thing. And it's like, maybe you'll meet them on your first meetup. Maybe you'll meet them on their 10th, but you will meet that person that helps you. And then you'll start finding out you'll meet a lot of them. I mean, the war room, great resource, unbelievably good resource. I couldn't have done my last deal without the people that I met in that group. I wouldn't have been there had I not met David randomly at a FinCon. Um, and now this next deal that it looks like I'm going to do, you know, it's going to be a bunch of war room people as well. My partner, Roderick, you know, I met him at the bank one day. I was sitting there just, you know, screwing around. I mean, I was working. I was at work, but I was out there screwing around and a guy comes in, he wants to buy some real estate. So it's just so important to, you know, be spending your free time pumping real estate propaganda into your own head. So you, that's on your mind. And then you just, you know, all you want to do is talk about real estate. And then inevitably somebody's gonna be like, bro, me too. Let's do, that's what I want to do too. And it freaking works and people, it's like magic. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to add one thing too about being overseas um, as we were chatting about that, like what actionable steps they can make or take. And, and we actually have like an unfair advantage, if you will, um, because we can spend all day at our W2, nine to five here. And then the time difference, you know, we get, we get home at five, it's now noon East coast. So we can spend the entire evening, you know, five to midnight or whatever, working when people are in the afternoon, it's in the afternoon for everybody um, in the States. So um, that is, that is one thing. And if you're overseas military listening to this, like you have an advantage where you can work outside of your W2, like in the military or whatever, spend that other time in on real estate. So while like if you're back in the States, you're working nine to five and you're trying to do some stuff, you know, after five, whatever, and everybody's all the banks are closed and things like that. Um, it can be very challenging to do this as a side hustle. You can do this on a small scale. I when I lived in Las Vegas and I invested on the East Coast, if I wake up at 6 a.m. and I crack my phone out, it's like it's 9 a.m. on the East Coast. Now it's not the exact same thing you're talking about, but it's close, right? Where it's like, bro, I'm at 6 a.m. I don't have to work for three hours. And yet I'm texting people, you better get this thing done. You mm-hmm. better get this thing done today. So uh, anytime you can use a time arbitrage like that, I love that. That's such good advice. Yeah, I, I loved that in Japan. I'd wake, or Japan, Hawaii, I'd wake up at four in the morning and it was already you know time to start the day and I'd have three or four hours before work. But I love the mentality there that you guys took that that mentality because a lot of people would complain about the time difference. Um, and sometimes rightfully so. If you're listening to this right now, uh, it is almost midnight in Alex's time zone. It's 8.30 at night, my time. And it is now after 45 minutes recording, 4.30 in the morning for Michael and Susie. So uh, this was a very difficult time frame to try to record a podcast. But for the most part, it works out. And I think that's really powerful that you guys had that that mentality of, um, around it because a lot of people would be complaining about it. But I think that's a huge advantage in its own way. Absolutely. Yeah, both you, both you guys, uh, I'm actually not as good at it, but both, you know, if you, for anybody who knows David well, like I know David very well, and that joker will text me at 4 a.m. with work stuff, and I can text him at 11.30 p.m. my time with work stuff. And that dude, I mean, I'm, I know he sleeps, right? I don't know how he can work so much and still be so lazy, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that dude grinds time. That dude grinds time like few other people I know. It's embarrassing how little he gets done for it, but he works so many hours a day. I can't stop help. I can't help but harass him. Um, but Michael and Susie, the same thing where you look at this time and you're like, yo, how can I find time advantages? You know, maybe, you know, the same person, like David said, the same person could look to you, your situation and said, oh, the time's off because, you know, when people, 
there's certain parts of your day now where I'm sure it's like, hey, look, the time's horrible to work, right? So, you know, 8 p.m., you you can't get anything done out there or whatever the, you know, whatever it is. So you looked at it and said, Hey, I can use it as an arbitrage advantage. David looks at time and says, I'm going to, you know, get my advantages where I can. And so that's so important. Um, that's so important for people to, you know, everybody has the same 24 hours. And I know that's so cliche, but you, you got to make do with what you have uh, and find those small advantages, whether it's a time arbitrage over time zones or freaking just waking up early or staying up late or whatever the case. But I love that. All right. We got a few questions that we ask. Everybody, wait on the show. Wait, oh. wait. You guys closed the 84, 88 unit in February. What is your plan? How long are you going to um, take on that? You know, my plan was I, I made, a, I set up my on a certain amount of time on my first one to make sure that I knew how to run this thing and I could provide investor returns before I went and got the next one. Um, but I'm curious what your, um, what, is that funny, Susie? She's no, no, I'm laughing because we have another property under contract. <laughs> That's my question. Tell us, tell me about it. Well, I don't want to talk too much about it because it, it's going to be a 506B. So, um, yeah, but it, it is 100 units and, um, it's and in the same, yeah, area. same area, Tulsa. So, cool. Nice. We are excited about it. Yeah. That is exciting. And we actually were partnering with more people from the war room on it. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, like, I wasn't the- invited. I wasn't invited <laughs> on this deal at all. We need to chat some more, Alex. <laughs> we have a pre existing relationship. I checked my, my Facebook Messenger before I got on this chat. Well, then that's a great reason for us to add you to our email list. <laughs> I changed my mind. You just watch. I want to know, Alex. I want to hear how the if this, then that lead flow sounds from the other side. Because I know how much you hate emails. I'm hard to deal with by design. This yeah. man, their, their freaking lead flow is going to... You will be unsubscribed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll know because I get so the fast. Yeah. And they'll get you with something else because it's probably <laughs> built in there. Yeah. It's going to be like unsubscribe. Thank you. Note goes out. <laughs> <laughs> it's either it's either you know pound them to death until they either get on your list or they unsubscribe. So there's no, you, there's no in between. Yeah. <laughs> in in sales, um, we had an old saying where it's um, you call them every single day until they buy or die. I love it. And you're going to buy. (laughs) I like it. it. For the record, that's the only time Alex has ever stopped me from going into the wrap-up lead questions on the entire like (laughs) time that we've been recording. So you guys should be proud of yourselves. I was curious. Yeah. We're here all morning. Do you have more? We're ready. (laughs) Nope. That was... was (laughs) I do notice one thing now that you looked back there. I noticed that you took the dog out of your set. I don't know how I feel about this. No, you know what? He's um the my dog is funny. If I leave, if I if I try to close the door, he wants whatever the opposite of what I think he if it, if he's in and I close the door, then he wants out. And if he's out, like he's he's at he's probably at the door and I'll come right in. But there's gonna be so the set's not done. Um, I got something coming right here where on the wall there where I'm gonna change the name of my website. It's coming and I'm gonna brand it and I'm gonna I'm gonna put a giant. I'm gonna get a custom decal made. And that's going to go right there. And I'm going to get a... Tilla's bed is going to go over here. And I'm going to have a little thing that says, you know, Tilla sleeps here. And he's going to be part of my set. So you'll see him over there. Oh and then God. I have some stuff coming. I got some... But this is, this is mostly it. And then I took my old, I took my old picture design uh, theme and, and made it a little more... I think that looks adult. better with the spacing. And, and I have some... It's less, uh, less... Not cluttered. Chaotic, maybe? I do love my chaos. But um, yeah. bro, this is the same room. I know. It looks way this different. It's the same room. Yeah, I've well, I moved. I was facing that wall, and so I painted it all in the last three days, and I did some work. Can you believe it? Okay, this oh. podcast not about me, no matter how bad you want it to be. <laughs> Wait, but I, so I have something to add, though. So I was thinking about this um, in regards to like going into the next deal. You know, so there's like two big pieces to it because I was like, okay, I want people to like think about this methodically before they just jump into another deal. But like, we are keeping um, like our property manager is on that asset already. So like we know the property management really, really well. And so that made us really confident about it. But then also part of the team has like changed and shifted. So it's not like we have two of the exact same teams trying to battle two assets like that we are taking over immediately, right? So like when you like grow into more assets, like your team can change as well. And so that's great too, because then you have different people working on different projects instead of everybody trying to focus on the two and hoping that they don't get burned out. And so I think those two things really helped us a lot. The property manager who you guys put on the 88 is the same ones who were already managing the new one? Yes. Please tell me they brought this deal to you. (laughs) 
uh, it didn't, but it did come through um, people that we network with. Okay. That, I mean, yeah. that's awesome. That'd be so cool yeah. if your property manager was just like, man, I like you guys. You guys want this one I manage? They, they, I hate that. <laughs> right. They did advocate hey. for us. You know, they're like, Huge. we want them, you know, telling the sellers, like, we want them because they're awesome people. And they were telling us that too, that we had to keep that's off cool. reading. So that's cool. Really hey, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Um, how many properties does that property manager manage? Ooh, I think they have weird, close weird to 4,000 units now. And okay. they're kind of spread across like Tulsa and other sub-markets um, in or tertiary markets, I guess, in Oklahoma. And then also into Northwest Arkansas. Like, uh, I'm not sure if they go all the way to Fayetteville, Arkansas, but um, like in that area for sure. So Yeah. So the reason I ask is my property manager is like my partner. And he started out as a little fledgling, you know, mom and pop property manager. And then basically you know, I showed up one day and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go off and make a career out of this. And I'm going to give you a million units. And uh, <laughs> David acts like I'm joking. That guy had, he managed 40 properties when I met him. And then I was like, yo, I'm going to hook now you he's up. up to now he's up 43, 400 and no. 400 and a little bit. You said, properties. that's awesome. Wow. You said properties, not units. Don't be, don't be, don't be trying to fluff this ego. <laughs> one property, even if it's 200 units, it's 400, <laughs> it's 400 social security numbers. Um, and now, you know, and now it's like, Hey, I'm about to add, I'm about to add 200. I'm going to, I'm going to double it. I'm going to, I'm going to add up 50%, not double it. I'm going to yep. go 50% more than what you already have in one swoop. So that's why I was curious because I'm running into a whole different set of problems where it's like, I'm outgrowing. Yeah. I'm not going to outgrow my property manager, but I have now I have to help him. Build I systems. have to build the system with him. And so, you know, it's good that you don't, you know, everybody has their own unique problems, but I was just curious. Um, selfishly, I was like, yo, does anybody else have this problem that I have? I'm sure you have others, but I was just curious, you know, what that, I never, I never thought about that, right? Like, is your property manager capable of doing what it is that you need? Uh, and that's a question that, again, I never heard that question. Um, I always tell but, people to ask when they're interviewing property managers, like tell them what your goal is and see what your property manager, like the look on their face. Cause there are, there are definitely property managers who would rather stay small and don't want to scale, which is fine if you don't want to be huge, but there are also property managers that don't want to touch you if you don't have so many doors or whatever. So it's like, there's definitely a niche there and you are in a unique spot to be growing. I don't even want to say growing with, but growing your property manager for them. Um, Cause my, with, like my property manager, with. well, I meant like, like it's not like you're growing with them so much as you're growing and they're growing with you. Um, like my property manager has been growing probably at like the same percentage rate that I am they had a lot more doors when they started. So they're, they're scaling very quickly, but they have like a full team and they're, they're very yeah. system oriented. So, um, and then obviously Michael and Susie sound like their property manager is already a freaking gangster. So yeah. <laughs> I'll let her know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Dude. I love this story just because it's so much like, you know, just find the right people. You, have you, uh, did you guys fly in to see the place? Have you seen it or you, you haven't been here? We haven't because of the quarantine. Yeah, Bro, like, I love this story. Yeah. I love this story. Because it, but if you like our whole like end goal, right? It's like I can retire in seven years, and that's the plan, right? And so we plan on doing this from anywhere in the world. Yeah. But basically, we are setting up the systems and processes now, um, and training all everybody, and like you know, setting up all the teams and everything that we need to do this from wherever. We're, we're proving that we can do it from the UK. And now, when we when I retire, we can we can live in Thailand for six months or live in Australia. And we can do the exact same thing. We have the systems and process place. Afghanistan, sure. I can't want to go to wait. Southeast Asia. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody Asia. ever says they're gonna go live in like Iraq. Ever? Yeah. Just I don't know. I don't understand. I think I just like a little more people, greenery. Well, I guess there is a lot of greenery over there. I want like happy greenery. Maybe that's a better word. <laughs> did a, a did a podcast the other day, and it was with like three people. One one was in LA. One was lived in Kuwait and one lived in Jordan. Uh, anyway, I don't remember where, uh, Lebanon. And, uh, and one of the guys was casually like, right before we started recording, he's like, so have you ever been to the Middle East? And I was like, yes, but yeah. probably <laughs> not for the reasons you're asking. He's like, what? And then it came up later. Like, right. what do you do for a living? I was like, oh, I'm in the Marine Corps. And he was like, ah. <laughs> I mean, Afghanistan is beautiful. Like it looks like Colorado, um, at least like Bagram. Maybe maybe not where I was. (laughs) Looks like yeah, uh, parts of parts of Bagram. Yeah, I mean, if you you look like Colorado, 
put your hand up and you just see the mountain range and you don't look at all the tents and all the desert and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's beautiful. I was going to say, uh, Arizona. Yeah. When I, I, I did a, I did a good chunk of time in Bagram and Kabul and, uh, it looks a lot like Arizona. Yeah. I, I haven't been that much to Colorado though, but I mean, to me, Colorado, uh, you know, I, I went there, it was in February. So I saw mountains and a lot of, you know, a lot of skiing. I was like, there's yeah. nothing much skiing going on in Afghanistan. I was, from, from I, was, uh, I was farther southwest. I got a whole lot of sand and then a river and an oasis at one point, but mostly sand. Not exciting. Yeah, they got sand. They got sand for days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I still have sand floating in things that I wore 10 years ago there. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that's probably a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question I always ask is, if an E1, E2 was to walk up to you guys asking you for advice, right? And this is probably, maybe we should frame this as a, as a cadet because you've been a professor, but um, just asking you for advice, whether it's real estate or life advice, like what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you were younger? Yeah. So I was thinking about this and I, you know, when I was enlisted and when I was a, a freshly lieutenant, like I wish somebody had told me, Hey, make a budget now, figure out your finances now. And then every time you get promoted, don't even look at that promotion, right? And like take that money you get promoted with and then put that away and save that and reinvest that in something else. So I wish somebody would have told me that um, a lot sooner. So that's what I like to pass on to E1s, E2s or fresh lieutenants. That's what I, I kind of talk about um, in my classes as well at the academy. So like but would you have lot. listened? You know, probably not, but uh, <laughs> at least... <laughs> At least they'll so plant a seed, right? At least they'll plant a seed. So then maybe in a couple of years down the road, they would do it. So David and I asked this question, or he asked this question every... I've been on this podcast for... Has it been two years? A year and a half? I've been on this podcast for a while. And we've been asking this question for quite a while. And I, I like the idea of it, but I always think back. I remember there was a guy came in my... I was an E nothing. And I was uh, way dumber, but just as arrogant. And he's like... Hey, you need to put, you know, 3% in your TSP, this and that. And I was like, that's a bunch of bullshit. I'm gonna buy car parts. I don't need any of that. I don't need to save money. The advice, you know, that I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. That guy was right. And so I always wonder, I'm like, dude, I know David means very well with this question. And I, and I don't know a better way to do it. Um, but I always wonder, you know, you can, in the face of good advice, people will still make bad decisions. And that's the hardest part I struggle with, with that part of that question. Cause I love your advice. Um, it's how do I, how do we get people to, how do we get an 18 year old or an E1 to listen to the show and then go against every, you know, that consumerist mindset that's beat into them. And then the, you know, beat the 18 year old out of them and beat a 40 year old into them. It's hard. I would like to think if they're listening to the show, they're at least open to it, which is more than, more than what we were. My, my issue. And I think the reason I asked the question, cause I agree that is inherently a problem is that, you know, in high school, I, and I probably wouldn't be able to say that I would have listened had someone told me that. But a lot of the stuff I think back and I'm like, man, no, nobody even tried. Like yeah. I wish somebody had tried at least like I would rather look back and go, wow, I was the idiot who didn't listen to that as opposed to like, I didn't even know there was anything different than the G fund for seven years. No idea. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. No, I'm not trying to just, dis- I'm just no, 1% yeah. of people to listen. Say again, that would be, one guy. Just to say, if you get one percent of people, one one person out of a hundred, like listen to you, then yeah, that's good. yeah. We had that young fella on this show. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. We had that young guy. A few, who was, Paul. We've had a few young people. Yeah, where it's been like, I mean, you did what by twenty? That's incredible. So there's definitely people in this community, and um, uh, and I'm incredibly grateful for them, especially the young ones that are that are catching this. That you know, we can you know be a, a force for good in their lives and be a good role modeling and have that. You know, that place where it's like they're listening to um, their other peer E3, E4s and their freaking knucklehead E5s that have that have been in for 18 years that are uh, telling them, you know, what to do, whatever. And they're like, you know, at least I love that they, they have the opportunity to come on to a Military Millionaire podcast and be like, yo, at least these guys will give me some good financial advice. I feel like so I'm, glad that, is... I'm very glad that we do it. But it just every time when you said that advice, Michael, I'm like, that's good, solid, pragmatic, you know, just genuinely good advice. But it's so, um, I don't know. I don't know how to get through to people. So I was just, it hit my head. I was like, shameless. Oh, does everybody have a copy of this but me? I'm so yours, mad. Yours is in the mail. Yours is the hard copy. 
Bro, I or, went to go on Amazon and order a pod, an order a version, a hard copy of David's book, and it wasn't available. And I swear, I almost gave texted him, and I was gonna text you something nasty. Oh, no, you're. I was gonna nasty. text you something nasty. And, Don't talk uh, dirty to me on my own show. Yeah, <laughs> yours is yours is in the mail, bro. It's in the mail. They they came like I ordered like a hundred books at once for like giving out to friends and mentors and people I thought would leave a good review or at least give me honest feedback. And uh, they came like two weeks apart. And so I was like, had like a bunch of soft copies for all the people who agreed to like pre-reviewed and review. And then I had some hard copies I ordered for, you know, assholes like Alex who might break the soft copy. And then, uh, but they just came, they came so far apart that, yeah, it's been kind of a pain, but it is what it is. Hey, so we haven't even I have something to add with the advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally okay. So I have something just to add on to it. So right now I'm reading a book. It's called Clients for Life. And like the main premise of it is how there's a huge difference between experts and advisors. And with experts, you go to them and it's very transactional. But with advisors, they don't give you the solution right away, right? They like make you think about it. They make you ask those deeper questions. So I think that's the difference in the advice. Like, are you giving the advice just as a transaction or are you asking deeper questions to these E1s, E2s and having them think about it? You know, like, if they get the advice, maybe they have no idea what to do with it, but it's like, hey, you can get an investment to buy those car parts, right? Like, so then what does that do for you? You know, like if you have the income stream to pay for the things you want, maybe that's the difference that they need. So I think it's like tweaking how you have them think about the advice instead of just giving it to them. I do love the Socratic method. I love that so much, Susie, because... um, What's the, Nassim has another quote, uh, even the cheapest misers are generous with advice. Mm-hmm. Like advice is so shallow, I guess, or it can be incredibly useful, but without kind of like you said, where it's like, let me tell you, let me explain how to use this advice, right? It's kind of the uh, teach a man to fish type of thing where it's like, here you go, here's what you need to know. And it's like, no, 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 no. Not just the platitude or the, you know, we can say, oh, networking, educating. It's like, but no, no, no. Here's how a little bit more, here's, how this works and why it's going to be, why, how you implement it. And I love that. I never really heard it articulated that way, but the difference between advice and advising. I love that. Yeah, that's good. Good point. That was way better than Michael's answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm here. (laughs) And Attila. (laughs) Oh, puppy dog. All right. Uh, Question number two, resources you guys would recommend, books, course, websites, whatever that you have found helpful along your, uh, along your journeys. But I think I'm going to be the first one, but to recommend the No Aww. BS Guide to Military <laughs> Life right there. I'm like... Uh, I paid him to say away. that. <laughs> <laughs> Record way reading it right now. And yeah, I wish it was something that I had when I was enlisted. And I wish it was something that I had when I was uh, a lieutenant. So um, I, I definitely that. plan on when I go back to the academy, Dave, and we'll arrange this later, but I, I plan on like buying these for all my students um, before they uh, leave my class. So... <laughs> Favorite podcast guest ever. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> you want to be a co-host? I've been looking think... for a co-host. I mean, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's funny. And even talking about, you know, like doing it from like overseas and what to look for, like even starting off with just Google, right? Like you can Google like real estate investing groups, real estate investing meetups, you know, like meetup.com is a great resource because like just putting in like passive income investing or real estate investing, you know, like you can break down the words however you want, but you will find a huge laundry list of like networking events that you can then go to. Yeah. And if actually, if you're overseas military, um, Susie and I host a meetup for overseas military or anybody who's overseas investing back in the States. We host a meetup um, that meets like once a month. So if you're interested, just reach out to us. I like it. Where can people get a hold of you? Where can people get on this crazy email list? <laughs> what kind of stuff you guys got going on? So as we were talking through this whole show, right, we we're talking about systems and processes and everything like that. And I talked about going through those 754 emails of, you know, pre-LOI all the way through, you know, take a property takeover basically. And so with that, like Susie and I like thoroughly documented like everything, every step along the way. And then we distill that down into like a checklist. And so if you want to get your free checklist of how to close on a multifamily property, you can go to adventurousrei.com forward slash checklist. And you can download it there and you can find us there as well. See what I mean, Alex? Did you did you pick up on how subtle that was? Like that was 
that was the, this is, I've told you systems, man, this is the perfect, like <laughs> literally like, Hey, here's this super valuable, really complex thing that we broke down into a really easy digestible uh, checklist. And if you go to that link, you'll end up on my email list and then we'll be able to talk and everything like that is the perfect funnel. Well done guys. Thanks. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this marketing thing out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I freaking, I'm going to like steal you. Um, I don't know if you're going to do any deals in my market, <laughs> oh. but I'll find it. Let's we can it. arrange this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, we're all close enough. So um, whenever you guys do fly into Tulsa, you're going to have to, we're going to have to link up and hang out for sure. So guys, this has been good. Um, this is the best ever podcast I've ever recorded with somebody who's already living in tomorrow. <laughs> yes, we are already living in tomorrow. <laughs> Alex is about to be in tomorrow too. Yeah. Six minutes. Just to join the club. Hey, yeah. he he was the one who extended this though. He can't get mad at me. I was go. I was all in for the wrap up, and Alex was like, "Hang on, guys. I have energy tonight." So, hey, uh, look. Oh, thanks for look, bringing that. The show. The show is priority number one. I'll sleep later. I don't care. I want to make sure we get the right. I want to make sure we get their story. I want to make sure we ask all the questions that people are. Thinking in the pod in the in the car, right? I was gonna ask that. Alex is so good. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously though, guys, this we don't normally go past an hour. This is over an hour. This is really good. You guys, you have a good story. And what I know Alex isn't gonna say it because I don't know, he's being nice right now. Maybe maybe he just doesn't want to dog on the rest of our guests, but it's very refreshing to have people come on the show and just talk story and talk about what they're learning and what they're doing and not pitch and not be selling and not be like, we get a lot of that on the show, unfortunately, where we have to kind of like, Oh, okay, cool. We're going through the motions with someone who's just trying to like get their name out there. And that's all they care about. And this has been just good dialogue about getting started in something and, and progressing and systems and, and just fun people. So we really appreciate you guys as guests and I'm going to leave all that in on the recording. So yeah, this is so much fun. I mean, yeah, I'm glad we woke up early to to knock this out. So really excited. Me too. And then I'm going to go to sleep and well, I'll wake up early anyway, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> good guys. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, tomorrow. Thank you both. This morning. Thanks, yeah. Thank, thanks, yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military to millionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes, now get out there and take action.